Welcome to the fourth episode of the Human Factor Podcast. Today I am discussing technology and the ethical side of translation. I will give a philosophical and ethical dimension to the Translation Act and its technical and technological aspects. This is part of my continuous questioning about morality and its application in translation. What's particular about today's episode is that it revolves around the inclusion of the visually impaired and hearing impaired translators in the workspace. I discuss the tools that are available to the visually impaired translators. I talk about the shortcomings of these tools, the experience of the translators using them, as well as the experience of the visually impaired translators and interpreters in the workspace. I highlight the dire need for more information and research about this subject in the Arab world. And in this context, and as the development of artificial intelligence, machine translation, the moral aspect of translation is very much linked to empathy I end on the note that we should absolutely not exclude the hearing and visually impaired translators from the elaboration of assistive and inclusive CAD tools that are inspired by their own experience. This said, let us start. Hi, I'm Ria Hlaihel. Thank you for choosing me to be your weekly reminder on your journey to intentionally owning your success. In this podcast, I explore what constitutes the complexity of the human being and try to understand the reasons behind what people call failures. I talk about imposter syndrome, morality, and other scientific and philosophical subjects. But what matters is that I very much love people. I love to see them happy and successful. I don't think I'll ever say this enough. I love people very, very much. Okay, let's do this. In my professional work in translation, I had the opportunity to collaborate with people with disabilities and translators with special needs. And rarely ever are their needs taken into consideration, especially when you are talking about technologies that involve the Arabic language. When I look closely at how they work, I realize that more efforts are needed to integrate people with special needs into the professional environment. At present, interpreting technologies are being developed to help interpreters and translators during their work. We hear about a lot of workshops organized around, for example, distance interpreting, but translators with special needs, let alone Arabic-speaking translators, are not included. It is very necessary to fill the gaps in this field while simultaneously investigating the needs of people with special needs. And if I want to talk about the translation softwares, efficient speed and maximum performance are essential, but there is also a need to look at the modus operandi of the translator with special needs. In this case, it's not just a question of language transfer, but of adapting to the translator's cultural and behavioral habits concerning technology. Now, the technologies currently available to translators with special needs have a loophole. If we strive to understand the impact of technologies and artificial intelligence, we have quite a fertile research field, both on the practical and experimental side and the theoretical and hypothetical side. This 
ethical dimension that I'm talking about would open to a neglected public, unfortunately, a presence in a field that is a priori reserved for individuals with no special needs. We can also establish a cross-reference between information technology, economy, and society. As a result, AI would also take on a triple dimension. One, a computer science technology dimension. Two, an economic financial dimension. And three, a societal dimension. To which is added, ipso facto, a fourth dimension that derives from the previous three, the ethical moral dimension that can be purely philosophical or theoretical or both. Now, my goal when I talk about AI in this context is to integrate people with disabilities in a certain social and professional context where they are excluded, to encourage and nurture inclusion and to look at things from the perspective of people with special needs. According to the World Health Organization, 90% of people with physical disabilities live in poverty. This means that their physical disability is compounded by a financial one. Now, the way I see it, the working environment is a social environment with a professional attribute. It would therefore be logical to make this equation. If the technologies implemented in everyday social situations exist, then it is foreseeable that technologies adapted to professional social conditions will exist or be invented. Very little data is available on this matter. Very few statistics have been collected. And in consequence, it is quite hard to extract information for further analysis. This is particularly true in the Arab world. And I would love to see development in this field. I would love to see studies targeting translators with special needs in the Arab world, like the hearing and visually impaired. Now let's go over existing technology in terms of the tools available for the visually impaired and how these can contribute to the visually impaired translator's accessibility and inclusion in the workspace. There's Transcends that allows a speech to be translated into written words and transcribed on screen in real time. There's also a live transcribed that Google launched in 2019. Now, thanks to Automatic speech recognition in the cloud, live transcribe captures people's speech and converts it into legend in real time. And it includes the Arabic language. Duxbury Braille translation software is known for its ease of use and accuracy of translation. It is the world leader in translating printed text into Braille, Braille editing, formatting, production, publishing, and related tasks. And of course, there is JAWS, the screen reader intended for Microsoft Windows that helps visually impaired uh, users use a Windows computer. JAWS has various features, including Braille support, multilingual text-to-speech, and support for multiple screens. Now, in terms of the uh, hearing impaired, there is Motion Savvy, a tablet with gestural control that can translate sign language. And there is also LiveTalk from Fujitsu, which only supports Japanese. It is a software that recognizes what the speaker is saying and instantly displays the spoken words as text on multiple devices, enabling real-time communication. There is also a diversity communication tool, which is LiveTalk's update, that supports a translation engine equipped with an artificial intelligence system. It integrates several languages and enables participatory communication between the hard-of-hearing people and uh, their surrounding. 
However, despite their advanced and accessible technology, there are several problems with these softwares, like compatibility issues, offering similar applications, but not the same efficiency, the availability of language pairs, especially Arabic, the absence of a unified platform or reference database, and of course, the very high costs. I can also add that these programs exist, and for lack of better term, to empower translation and to enhance the general user's experience, but they do not enhance the translator with special needs user experience. Now let's take the example of Trados. It is in high demand in professional environments, but it is so sad to know that the blind and visually impaired translators are being excluded from many jobs and potentially university courses because of accessibility reasons. And the thing is, you can adapt JAWS to Trados, but then again, you need someone to script it. And please, let us not go down the path where people can write their own scripts. The easiest way of making this accessible to everyone is to have the script integrated in Trados and accessible with screen readers when the program is installed. And that's really very critical. We can advocate for cloud-based working or server-based environments, but this is not enough and this is not the core issue. The core issue is to include, or maybe a better way to put it would be to prevent the exclusion of the blind translators from the majority of the available work because it is not properly made accessible to them. And even if companies have put programs and quotas for the blind and low vision people among which the translators even if these are available, if there is no meaningful, consistent accommodation, then these opportunities to just help people get a job, but it doesn't mean that they will enjoy what they are doing. Now, the issue of accessibility is a matter of personal preference. I wouldn't say personal in the classic sense of personal, but it means that it is highly customizable. It can mean a variety of things to different individuals, the key to adaptable tech is that it must be paired with an autonomous and supporting learning environment. This said, in the remaining part of this podcast, I want to talk about the special needs of the visually impaired and the blind, as well as the hearing impaired and the deaf. I always say talk to talk, so let's talk the talk. In today's episode, I will focus more on the visually impaired and the blind, but I will mention as well the hearing impaired, and I will dedicate a later episode to translators with hearing impairments and deaf and mute translators. The first category of people with special needs are those with a significant visual impairment. These people perceive light, but do not distinguish forms or are totally blind. It would be a good idea to ask how a translator became blind. I remember one of the exhibitions I have been to in my travel in Montreal. It was an exhibition that had a tremendous impact on me. Sophie Cal, a very well-known French photographer, had done an entrance exhibition at the MAC in Montreal addressing blindness. That was in 2015. In film and photography, there were stories of people who had become blind because of a specific event, a shock, an accident, or a severe illness. Her exhibition in Montreal was divided into two parts. The last image, which was a work from 2010, and See the Sea, 
which is a work from 2011. Now, in the last image, there were a series of photographs accompanied by text documenting the last scene that people would have seen or experienced before they were struck by blindness. And in See the Sea, there were a series of digital films documenting people who had never seen the sea. I remember sitting on the floor, watching the filmed images unfold on the screen and wondering a thousand times how these people had adapted to their daily lives, how they performed their essential daily tasks and how they were accepted in the workplace. This is highly indicative and information-rich. People born blind have radically different needs from those who lose sight later in life. They have different experiences. They perceive the world and the sensations of the world differently. It is therefore logical that their needs are different. And as I said before, the technologies currently available to translators with special needs have a loophole. Do we have records of blind people who have made significant and unprecedented changes in translation, such as the case with fixers and conflict zones, or women who have revolutionized the field and practice of translation and interpreting? Now, I want to tell you the story of one of the richest friendships I ever had. I met my blind friend at school, at university. She lost her sight to eye cancer when she was 17, but she doesn't let that hold her back. I remember getting to know her more by reading aloud the texts she had to translate during periodic exams at the Beirut School of Translators. We became friends and I got to know her more and more in her native environment. My friend walks up the stairs as if she had always kept her sight. She went to Paris by herself for her master's degree. Today, she works with high-ranking professionals and in very demanding work environments. As time passed, I felt comfortable asking her a question that would become very recurrent in our conversations. And I would say, wouldn't you like to regain your sight? And she would answer me year after year, what remained an unchanged statement. No, it's who I am, and I just want to improve who I am, just like that. As a sighted person, I have a big problem imagining my life without my eyes, but my friend now had a hard time imagining it with them. How do I empathize with her when I offer her solutions adapted to my way of thinking, my fears, and my needs? How much more practical would it have been if my friend had not used my help during the exams, even though it had been the link to our long-lasting friendship? In this context, what is at heart is designing or creating what a visually impaired person needs to improve their situation and performance. My friend doesn't want to become sighted again. Instead, she wants something that will give her autonomy entirely without the need for a third party, especially in tasks of a professional nature. If you are an academic, if you have a position at university, if you are a translation student or if you are a professional translator, have you ever asked yourself how many blind people would like to enroll in translation and interpreting but cannot, not because of their disability, but because of the lack of translation and interpreting technologies adapted to their needs, especially in the Arab world. 
This is what I mean when I talk about ethical translation studies. This is what empathy is. It is about embracing these questions which arise from real life situations, from real needs to work towards making individuals with special needs at ease. In a poetic expression, what if we invited these people to come and look at the sea? The second category of people with special needs I'd like to talk about are people with a major hearing or speech impairment or both. These people perceive a limited amount of sound or are totally deaf, hard of hearing or non-hearing, mute or both. The World Health Organization estimates that by 2055, there will be 900 million people worldwide with hearing loss. The experience of the hearing impaired is not very far from that of the visually impaired. The testimonies of the hearing impaired show that they refer distinctly to their world on the one hand and the world of the hearing on the other hand and alternate between the two worlds. For example, one hearing impaired individual testified, when I am with my deaf peers, I'm quoting literally, when I'm with my deaf peers, I feel that I'm very involved in the conversations. When I'm with a group of hearing people, I feel left out. I try to catch the conversation. There are still times when they will say, it's not important or forget about it. End of quote. This is indeed not so considerate if at all. And we can only imagine how hard it must be for this individual to feel included in his group of friends. If the hearing impaired prefer to surround themselves with their peers, it is undoubtedly because they share a common experience, but it's also probably because they don't feel included in their hearing friends' circles. The same goes for technology, which assists the hearing impaired, but suffers from shortcomings in their social integration. This is because there is a, and I quote literally, a deaf culture as opposed to the hearing culture, which encompasses a set of acts and behaviors unique to the hearing impaired. Like visually impaired people, the hearing impaired do not seek to hear, but to be heard. To take this further, yes, the hearing impaired excelled in sign language interpretation. It is clear, however, that they can help within the field of translation beyond the framework of their disability. Now the part I love in every episode, linking empathy to the content of the episode. Today is going to be empathy, machine translation, and artificial intelligence. Now I want to examine machine translation and AI within the framework of moral translation studies and empathy. Now, when special needs are discussed, empathy must be highlighted. Empathy combines sympathy on the one hand, and on the other hand, the tendency to look at things from the perspectives of others when they are different from who we are or when they show signs of exoticism. Empathy is a faculty that advocates compassion and is born from our feeling of identification with others. This is not insignificant. Empathy means that we participate in the suffering of others. It means understanding our peers, being aware to their feelings and thoughts, being sensitive to their experience, and vicariously experiencing what they are dealing with. Evidence of empathy can be seen when 
there is a possibility of imagining a future or creating a future where people with special needs are included, where there is a tendency to exclude them because they would burden society. For example, this burden can manifest in additional responsibilities during the creation, inception, execution, and implementation of machine translation programs. Empathy is embodied when researchers ask themselves how people with special needs imagine the future of the technologies they would use. And when special needs translators are excluded from machine translation projects, it raises the question of how much empathy is promoted in tech space and in the machine translation space. Truly, what is at stake here is our own ethical code. There is nothing, no excuse, that prevents translators without physical disabilities to observe things from the perspective and point of view of translators with special needs. Empathy requires high emotional intelligence and high cultural intelligence, which implies that artificial intelligence and intercultural intelligence intersect. Now, in my article published in 2020, I talk about the necessity of examining the ethical aspect of translation under what I called moral translation studies. This is because after deeply examining the issues of translation in the war zone and the ethical dilemmas that the translators and interpreters face in the war zone, I started asking myself about the translation practice. Is it ethical? Is it correct? Now what I call moral translation studies, or what should probably be called ethical translation studies, is something I started to answer my own questions, but also because it benefits the translation community, whether academic or professional. I want to end uh, today's episode by linking morality and ethics to the subject of today's episode. Morality does not stem from imagination. Ethics are concepts from which morality derives. And when it is difficult to remember which one comes before the other, you only need to recall the fables of La Fontaine, who said at the end of the poem, the moral of the story is, or if you like children's book, Lewis Carroll, according to whom everything's got a moral, if only you can find it. If only, if only, if only, if only. Morality, although not requiring imagination to exist, requires imagination to move it from one context to another. In the field of translation technologies and artificial intelligence, a philosophical theoretical link can be established from the connection between the two. When we assist people and translators with special needs through technology, even if it were through a software, it is actually through imagination, but not just any imagination. It is imagination mixed with empathy even if it is impossible to imagine the experiences of the visually and hearing impaired translators, there should be no hindrance, there should be no excuse to not showing sympathy and empathy towards them. My research aims to integrate the visually impaired and hearing impaired, especially those in financial need or who have learning difficulties, and see the progress of the Arabic language and the translation technology field. During my work on translation in conflict zones, I understood that interculturality goes beyond physical concepts and necessarily extends to involve 
high levels of emotional intelligence and cultural intelligence. As Luc Julia beautifully puts it, artificial intelligence does not exist, but augmented intelligence is marching forward. Now, so let us conduct further investigations. Let us inquire, educate ourselves, and address these issues. Let us extend our hands to others and accept that others come to us in our quest to include the visually impaired and hearing impaired translators in the technological advancement of CAT tools. Let us relieve their burden. Let us show more empathy and compassion to them because when we do this, we contribute, whether on a big or a small scale, to making this world a better place, a safer place, and a much more inclusive space, 1% more every day. Thank you for listening to the Human Factor Podcast. Please help the podcast reach the widest audience possible. Rate it five stars, subscribe, and share. Episodes are available on Spotify, Anagami, and Apple Podcasts and are out every Thursday. Would you like to tell your story? This is a free speech platform with no filters added. Reach out to me. I'd love to hear you. See you next time.